$1,000 a year that they give from the work that they have at Shepherds, they have been giving over $1,000 a year to missions. This past year, the project that our residents chose, some of you heard of Brother Vins out of Elkhart, Indiana, that he delivers Bibles and commentaries into Russia. So our residents chose that particular project and uh, they purchased the Bibles and commentaries. Then they sent us the packages and our residents then took the different uh, seals that needed to go on the outside of the package, wrote their own return address, and then we took them to the post office so they learned how to pay for postage. And that project cost the residents $1,000. And their burden was, because the Bible is so important to us at Shepherds as well as to them, that this was their project. I'd like to turn your attention to the book of Philemon this morning for this reason that most of you know what Philemon is about. There are parallels in the book of Philemon to what some people view the mentally retarded. About 25 years ago in the city of Denver, Colorado, a baby was born. And as this baby was born, it was determined that this baby was born down with Down syndrome. When the father saw his child, he couldn't handle the concept of having a mentally retarded child. So literally, he left the hospital, left his wife, left his newborn, and never returned. His wife was devastated. She had no means of support, no family, so she moved back to New Jersey where there were some friends. A local church reached out to this lady they saw that she was in need, personally, so they met the most obvious need. Then they recognized as this child grew that she needed some support as far as providing education. So they started a Sunday school class for one Down syndrome child. They started a Sunday school class. Because of this concern, because of this great love that was shown to this one lady, she trusted Christ as her personal savior. And a period of time, because of the difficulty she had found herself, she was able to get more support from the church, try to take care of this son, but then she came down with cancer and went home to be with the Lord. The church then called shepherds and said, we have this uh, six-year-old mentally retarded man, boy, could you take him? And we did. And Brian has been with us for well over 25 years now. One of the things about Down syndrome, they sometimes have congenital heart defects. And Brian did. So he took him to a local physician. The physician examined him and said, he needs heart surgery, but I'm not going to perform it. And we asked why. He said, he's not a human being. He's mentally retarded. What value is there in that life when he can do nothing? I'm not going to operate. Well, we left and found a physician who would operate. But that one physician did not know that Brian has memorized a hundred verses of scripture and he knows them all from memory. He maybe has a mind of a four or five year old, but Brian, as he has gone on some gospel teams in local churches and in groups and in colleges, he has touched more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ than many evangelists will ever do. 
You see, the mentally retarded are human beings for whom Jesus Christ also died. There is a great theologian, and he knows his theology well, except when it comes to this area of mental retardation. In his book, and I would not be surprised if his book is in your bookstore, he refers to them as subhuman when dealing with the concept of ethics and philosophy. And I challenged him when I was doing my doctoral studies at Dallas concerning classifying the mentally retarded as subhuman. Well, he has since changed his views, but it's not yet in print. In the book of Philemon, there is also a parallel. You see, in this book that was written from Rome to a person called Philemon by the Apostle Paul, Philemon was a wealthy businessman who lived in the city of Colossae. And he had slaves, which was common in the first century. One of his slaves, whose name was Onesimus, got tired of being a slave, so he ran away. And in the providence of God, he meets the Apostle Paul. Paul leads him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul pens this letter and says, Philemon, you'll never believe this. By the way, this is a paraphrase according to Jim. Philemon, you'll never believe this. I met your slave Onesimus. I led him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know what you want me to do. I, I'd like to keep him here in Rome because he's quite valuable to me. But since I don't have your mind on it, I'm going to send him back. Would you take him back, not just as a slave, but would you take him back as a brother? The reason why Paul had to pen that letter that way, you see, in the first century, slaves were considered non-human beings. They had no property. They had no rights. They were forever a slave until they died. The upshot of the story is this. This letter was being hand-delivered to Philemon by no less the runaway slave Onesimus and his friend Tychius. And so Philemon now is faced with a choice. Here he is faced with one of his slaves who is considered a non-human being because, you see, in the first century, Rome said, Roman civil law said, if a slave runs away, you put that slave to death. That's the penalty for running away. You see, even Rome considered them as non-human beings. They had absolutely no value to the Roman citizens. So you put them to death. And here is Onesimus being challenged with his faith. Would Philemon take him back? Now what would Paul use, what would Paul's motivation be for this man, Onesimus, a born-again believer but still a slave, why should Philemon take him back? What would Paul's appeal be to convince Philemon to take back this non-human being who's standing before him? We find it in verses 8 and 9. You see, the first seven verses of the book of Philemon are by way of introduction. And he never tells Paul, Paul never tells Philemon why he's writing the letter. He just heaps praise upon praise, especially between verses 4 through 7. Then in verse 8 he says, Philemon... Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, that which is convenient or fitting, he says, Philemon, I am an apostle. I could command you to take back this runaway slave, but I'm not going to do it. And here's the key to the book of Philemon. I'm sure you already know it. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You know that there are two words for love. One is a love of a friend. We get that word today, Philadelphia. That's where I was born. The city of brotherly love. You know, I've been back there recently, and there's not a lot of love back in that city anymore. But that's what the word means. Philos, 
the love of a friend. And I'm sure that you have many friends here. You care about each other, do you not? Do you care about each other? Can you shake your heads yes if you're not going to say it? That's one of the words, but that's not the word that's found here in verse 9. The word that's found here is the word that is used in John 3, 16. That God so loved the world that he did give his one unique son that whoever would believe in that son, that person would never die, but have life eternal. You see, that kind of love, the love of Jesus Christ, is a love that gives and gives and gives and expects nothing back in return. It's a sacrificial love. That word is also found in Romans 5, 8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet spiritual rebels, Christ died for us. Notice that. Jesus Christ died for us, not based on his foreknowledge that one day we would trust him as personal savior. It says, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet spiritual rebels, Christ died for us. So it's a sacrificial love. And that's the word that's found in verse 9. So here we're being challenged to consider a non-human being. Why? Strictly for love's sake. Now, in verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 is basically a summary of the things I just stated. He said, I would have liked to kept him here in Rome. It would have been great to keep him here. He's of great service. He's of great value to me. Verse 14, but without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. Now look at verse 15. Paul raises an interesting issue. I call it the principle of providence. Verse 15, for perhaps he, Onesimus, therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and the Lord, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. You know what Paul just said to Philemon? Philemon, is it possible that God allowed this man to run away for the possibility that I would be the one to lead him to the Lord, and if he got led to the Lord, then you would take him back not just as a slave, but you'd take him back as a brother? Think about that, Philemon. Friends, one of the things that many people wrestle with is why does God allow mental retardation? We have 160 residents, and many of the parents have either publicly or privately asked themselves that question. Some parents really believe that God is judging them, or that they're paying for some sin in the past. Let me state this. My personal conviction, my God, my God does not cause mental retardation. He doesn't. My God may allow it, but he doesn't cause it. One of our residents is a pastor. He has two master's degrees, was teaching at a college, married, two children. The last message he preached to about 1,500 young people was on death and dying, and obviously he wanted them to be sure that they knew where they would go if they were to die. The next day he went to his church study in the office. He came home for lunch, which was his normal pattern. While he was having lunch with his two daughters, he just fell over at the kitchen table. Well, the little girls thought that daddy was playing games with them, so they just fooled around for a little bit. This time, daddy didn't move. 
By the time they went upstairs, got their mother, she came downstairs, called the paramedics. He had suffered a heart attack, and there obviously was a period of time where there was no oxygen to his brain. When they got him to the hospital, he then suffered a stroke. As a result of these two events, this man has permanent, permanent brain injury. He has lost all short-term memory, which means if you would visit him at lunchtime, for example, he could not remember what he just had for breakfast. He has lost all short-term memory. He now functions just like someone seven or eight years old. He has the actions of a child. He thinks like a child. He reads like a child. He has the tapes of his sermons, tapes of his singing. He listens to Bach and Beethoven. But because he now reads like a child, he has children's books on his bed. That's all he can read. When his wife realized that her husband now had a mind of a child, she divorced him because she couldn't handle the stress of having a husband who was a child. He doesn't understand that. He has two daughters, and for years, their mother would not allow the girls to see their daddy. You see, at Shepherds, because he cannot remember things, one of the workshops that we have is collecting Campbell's soup labels, just like a lot of schools around the country collect them. We, we redeem them for different kinds of equipment, educational studies, and his job is to cut out Campbell's soup labels because he doesn't have to think what he has to do. is just cut out the labels. He was getting depressed because for years he did not see his two daughters. Our staff decided we will pray and we will not stop praying until this woman allows her children to see their father. We got a call not too long ago where from his father called and said, the girls were able to come up and see their father. And he was so excited that the girls, that he was going to see his daughters for the first time in years. They were now teenagers. He was thrilled. He came running in my office. Mr. Mysterian, Mr. Mysterian, I saw my daughters. I saw my daughters. I saw my daughters. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. He said, would you help me write a letter? He has forgotten, because of the brain injury, how to write a simple letter. He cannot even read Psalm 1 out of the Bible without help. I don't know why God allowed that to happen. But you know what? How God is using this man? He still remembers some of the great hymns of the faith. And sometimes he goes to a local church and he will minister because that's what he wants to do. And when he sings Amazing Grace, friends, he means every single word of it. Why did God allow this to happen? I don't know. But Dennis is still being effective for Jesus Christ. And in fact, you'll see his picture in that booklet, that blue booklet I left out there for you. He's sitting on a bicycle, athletic bicycle, training bicycle. And he's got a big smile. Every day, Dennis is the one who walks up and down the hall. And he says, praise Jesus for today. And he's got a big smile. He thanks God just for the day that God has given him. Now, here we have a slave where Paul says, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, 
both in the flesh and the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. We have to begin thinking a different way towards God's special sheep. You see, they are human beings. They have great value. They have a soul. They do make a contribution. But there is a tendency in society to look down upon the mentally disabled. We do not treat them as we would treat someone else. One time in our gospel teams, we traveled to different churches and we stopped after church at a restaurant to get our residents something to eat. And one of the patrons of the, res of the restaurant, when we walked in the door, said to his wife quite loudly, he goes, oh my God, look at those mentally retarded people. And one of our residents who didn't hear the entire sentence, all he heard was, oh my God. He walked up to the man and hugged him. He says, you know Jesus Christ too? I think that man has never said that statement again. Where our residents didn't understand the rejection they were getting by society, but all they heard was the word God and assumed that this man loved Jesus Christ like they loved Jesus Christ. You know, we have another resident. I mentioned some of our residents are low functioning. We have about 28 residents who maybe have a mind of a, of a one or two year old child. A baby, a little child. This one resident whose name is Brad, his family know nothing about the gospel. They heard about shepherds through a neighbor who heard one of our gospel teams in our local church. So Brad was brought into shepherds. He's right now, he's about 22 years old and he's learning how to say hi. He hasn't said it all the time. He's learning how to say hi. Just to give you an idea of where this man is functioning. We teach our residents the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for the low-functioning residents, we use like the wordless book. Have you been familiar with that? That has the different colors that explain the gospel. We, do it, we did it with him. For months, we gave him the gospel. He heard it every day. Now remember, he's nonverbal. So one day... One of the staff noticed that as we presented the claims of the gospel, he began to smile. And we thought he nodded his head. Well, we were careful not to give anyone the assurance of their salvation, especially the men of retirement, because they love to please. If they know that you want something, they'll do it. But the gospel was still repeated to him time and time again. And he seemed to genuinely understand by his nod and his whole facial features just changed. There'll be a big smile on his face when we talked about how to receive Christ. Well, we sensed that he did understand based at that level. We gave him a Bible uh, to be a reminder that it is God's word. When he went home for a vacation, which some of our residents do go home, he was sitting at the table with the rest of his family. And they just started to eat. And they turned to Brad and he, Brad just sat there. They couldn't understand. Brad, why don't you start eating? Please eat. He just sat there. Brad, what's wrong? Finally, Brad reached up like this, folded his hands, and went, uh, uh. You see, at Shepherds, we teach our residents to fold their hands and pray before they eat to thank God for the meal they have that day. Well, the parents were never used to praying, so they bowed their heads, said a few words, and they continued on eating. And Brad ate too. That evening, it was time for his bed. Brad, for whatever reason in their mind, would not go to bed. They couldn't understand why he refused to go to bed. He just wouldn't get into bed. 
finally he grabbed the Bible that was by his nightstand and went like this to his parents. <coughs> he wanted the Bible read to him because we read the Bible at Shepherds. His parents were extremely concerned. In fact, they were upset. They called us at Shepherds and said, what are you doing to our son? What are you teaching him? We said, come on up. We want to tell you what we're doing. His parents and his brothers came to Shepherds and we went over the gospel of Jesus Christ. His mother and father have trusted Christ as personal savior. His brothers now have trusted Christ as personal savior. And his grandmother, who was extremely bitter about having a mentally retarded grandson, she has trusted Christ as personal savior. All because of one man who's learning to say hi is, was able to communicate through his own abilities the love of Jesus Christ. And there's page four to this story. That grandmother now is in the presence of the Lord. Two weeks ago, she went home to be with her Lord and Savior. But a man who maybe has a mind of a one or two-year-old child who is nonverbal, God used him in leading his entire family with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant or a slave, but above a slave or servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and the Lord, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Notice how in the first century, Christ was not addressing the issue of slavery. He was addressing the issue of the dignity of a human being. Society said, this is not a human being. Jesus Christ said, this is a human being. And Paul was a communicator of that message. Look on as we continue. Paul says in verse 18, If he, Onesimus, hath wronged thee or owed thee aught or anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Paul uses in the first century a word we use today in the 20th century. The word is, put it on my account. Others say, charge it. It's an accounting word. Isn't it exciting how we use charge cards today? You just hand that card and you can buy anything you want, whatever your limit, credit limit states. This word is also used of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you know this very well. Jesus Christ, in essence, said the same thing to the Father. Father, you see all these people's sins, charge it to my account. And you see, that's why we refer to it as a substitutional death of Jesus Christ. We deserve death for all of our sins, past, present, and future. We deserved it. Jesus Christ paid for it. All our sins were literally charged to the innocent Son of God. And here we now are set free because Christ's resurrection demonstrated that all of our sins, past, present, and future, were satisfied. All the guilt of our sins were satisfied, past, present, and future. And so he takes this concept and then he drives it home to Philemon's mind. Look what he does in the middle of verse 19. He says, Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thy own self beside. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels, refresh my heart in the Lord. Paul uses 
a verbal two by four on Philemon. He says, Philemon, I'm not going to remind you that I led you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're indebted to me. I'm not going to do that. I don't know if any of you have ever watched a jury trial, but sometimes an attorney, if he wants to make a point and he knows it's not allowed, he'll say it anyway for this reason. Right away, the other attorney will get up and say, I object to that statement. The judge who recognizes that should never have been said in court says sustained, meaning I agree with you. The judge will then turn to the clerk and said to the clerk, please strike that last statement from the record. The judge then turns to the jury and he says, I want you to forget that last statement that you heard. How can a jury forget something that's just been said? And Philemon is being taught the same example. Look what Paul does to him again. Albeit, I do not say to thee, I do not say to thee, how thou owest unto me even thy own self beside. Philemon, I'm not going to bring it up to you that you owe me your life. That I'm the one who has led you to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You owe me your life, Philemon, but I'm not going to bring it up. Just like this morning, I'm not going to bring it up to any of you who claim the name of Jesus Christ. That you owe him your very life. I'm not going to do that. Nor am I going to bring it up that the events that may take place in your life, that God so orders those events for a particular reason, for ultimately his glory. Why he allows certain things in your life? I don't know. But he does it for a purpose. Look at verse 22, verse 21. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that that will also do more than I say. And then the letter closes. A few other verses, and the letter closes. What about the slave that's been listening to his boss read the letter? He's under a death sentence. He's a non-human being. Does Philemon take him back, not just as a slave, but does he take him back as a brother? The Bible doesn't say clearly, but I have an opinion, and I take it on verse 21. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that will also do more than I say. That's a statement, friends, of normal Christianity. There are a lot of average Christians. Average Christians just do what they're required to do. A normal Christian does more than they're asked to do. When I see the life of some of our residents of doing things more that they can ever ask than we would ever ask, let me illustrate. We have this woman. She's now 60 years old. Her parents never took her to school because when she was a child, it was a shame to have a mentally retarded person. So they never took her to school. She's never had a day of formal education. But you know what I think her parents did do? They took her to church every Sunday and she has trusted Christ as her personal savior. Oh, she speaks maybe in short sentences, two or three words. We found out that when her parents took her to church that she must have sat near a piano because by accident 
Uh, churches give us these little tabletop organs, you know, battery-powered uh, tabletop organs. And there was one in the unit that she was at. And one day she just sat down. The battery, the, the switch was left on and she sat down and she started to play the great hymns of the faith. And evidently she plays like this. She must have watched somebody cross their hand when they play the piano. And now she plays the piano like this. The little buttons on the side. If I were to have brought her here this morning... I would have asked any one of you to name any of the great hymns of the faith, any Christmas carol, any chorus, that if she has heard it at least one time, she could play it on a piano. Oh, there will be mistakes, but she can play Amazing Grace, How Great Thou Art, O Zion Haste. Play the Christmas carols. We'll play, O Come All Ye Faithful. And when she gets done, she turns looks for approval, and she'll say, good job, good job. And we'll say, yes, May, you did a good job for Jesus Christ. You know, here we are, as normal as society says we're normal. We wonder why God allows certain things to come into our lives. And yet we have a woman who's 60 years old, who's never had any formal education, but when she goes to a local church and she plays this piano, she touches hundreds of lives. Lives of other people. I see how God prepares individuals for specialized ministries. When I came to this school 15 years ago, humanly speaking, I really didn't want to come to teach. I had taught school for a number of years in the public system before, before called into the ministry. I had attended Dallas Seminary, and I was ready for the pastorate. But Dr. Duncan asked me, would I come out here and help get this program, the teacher education program, certified by the state of California. Back then, California would not accept the graduates of the school in receiving a California state credential. And I had told him, Dr. Duncan, you know, I, I want to preach so badly. And he said, Jim, we need good men here in California. Why don't you at least come, get the program going, and then you could use LABC as a stepping stone. And humanly, I said, it's going to take me five to ten years to do all things you wanted to do. Within six months, the state of California granted the school the credential program. They recognized the teacher ed program. And then God blessed in various other things that I was asked to do. And the Lord just blessed it richly. And during that time, a church in Washington State had called and asked if I would come be their pastor. But during those years, I wondered, Lord, why did I have this short experience here at this school? How does that fit into the big plan? I don't see the big picture. And for seven and a half years, I pastored. And those years that I had trained in special education, I had received my master's in, in special education with a major mental retardation. And I didn't see how that fitted into teaching here or how that fitted into teaching at a, at a college but 18 years later, God's picture began to fall into place when I was asked to take over the presidency of Shepherd's Home. You see, our facility is the only facility in the state of Wisconsin that's not licensed. And because of our strong religious convictions, the state of Wisconsin is allowing us to practice our religious beliefs without receiving a state license. But it took 18 years of my personal prayer life to say, Lord, 
Well, why did I teach special education? Why did I go to Dallas Seminary? Why did I come here and, and help out in teacher education? Why did I pastor? How does all this fit together, Lord, based on the principles of verse 15? These different things come into our lives that I don't understand. And here God brought everything together 18 years later and prepared me for a ministry of administrating a facility for the mentally retarded. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that that will also do more than I say. One of the great calls that God sets up for us is, are we obedient to do more than we're ever asked to do? One of the most thrilling things for me is to see young people come to Shepherds and spend a week of missions. We open up our program to college and high school young people to come and minister to God's special sheep. It's been so successful and God has blessed it so richly that this summer is already booked up. We have youth groups coming from all over the country, even as far as way as Salem, Oregon, have come to Shepherds to minister. We have a college program tied in with Cedarville that if some of you were interested in, in doing an internship at Shepherds and receiving college credit, that could be worked out because I know that the school accepts credits from other Christian colleges. So I would even invite any of you young people who have never maybe considered a specialized ministry in caring for God's special sheep that we would open up an internship program for you to work at Shepherds, to be involved in ministering to the mentally retarded, and possibly receive college credit. That's something that if that was to be, we would work out with the administration and with you. But see, here is an opportunity of, number one, being obedient to a possible call in the area of special education. But taking that principle and saying, in my college experience, I'll not just do the requirements my professors asked me to do, but I'll try to do more than they ask, to go for excellence, to excel in everything that you do. And this is how Paul viewed Philemon. Philemon, I know you're a man of God. I know you care about people. And I know you're going to do more than I would ever ask. See, that's normal Christianity. One of the great joys that I have is interacting with the residents. There is this one man who became mentally retarded. He was born normal. But as a child, he came down with measles. And he had such a high fever that they could not control. It left him permanently brain injured. He's in his 30s. He cannot read. But he has a tremendous prayer life. His name is Gary. And what Gary does, anytime he knows that I'm going away to minister in churches and schools, he'll say, Mr. Messerian, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that people will be saved. I also want to know how God blesses. When I go back in a few weeks, Gary will be waiting for a personal report from me to know how his prayers were answered. This man is a prayer warrior like I've never seen. When he says he will pray for a person, he will pray until that prayer is answered. I would never ask a mentally retarded person to pray for something and keep praying for it until that prayer is answered. He does it naturally. He has a burden for prayer like I've never seen by most Christians ever. He will pray for something someone, events, circumstances, and you don't have to remind him to pray for it. He comes to you and asks, is the prayer answered? 
He'll come and ask me what took place at that church. He'll want to know what took place here this morning. And I'll be glad to give him a report. But he's a prayer warrior. Knowing this principle of verse 21, that's normal Christianity, to do more than we're ever asked to do. I look forward to working with more young people. One of our dreams at Shepherds, and by the way, we're located in Union Grove, Wisconsin, which is about 30 miles south of Milwaukee. We're about an hour north of O'Hare Airport, 20 minutes away from General Mitchell Airport in Milwaukee. We would welcome any of you who would come by maybe when you're going through Chicago. Maybe you have family members back there or friends. I would invite you to come and witness the miracle that's taking place of seeing how God uses 160 mentally retarded people for his kingdom. And let me just close with this one last thought. A college student just recently wrote to me. She had visited Shepherds 15 years ago. And she started to write to one of our residents. And she's maintained that relationship, just writing a letter every once in a while. This resident cannot read, so we, we tell the resident what letter they received, what it was about, and try to get a response back from the resident and send the letter back. Because of this relationship with this one resident, this lady wrote and said, after spending 15 years of my profession, I believe God is calling me to work with the mentally retarded. And I'm letting you know I'm going back to college in the area of special education. So it's very possible. As this lady, it took 15 years before God directed her path. It took me 18 years before I understood why God gave me these various experiences in public school teaching, seminary, teaching at a college, pastorate, working on my doctorate. It all took 18 years before I understood why God was allowing certain events to take place. And you, you're probably wondering, what am I going to do in the future? Maybe you have your mind made up already. Some of you are still trying to find that point of view. But take this principle of verse 15, that God does allow certain things to take place. And he's leading and directing you step and step at a time. Then ultimately, he does things based on that one thing. We're reminded that we owe him our very lives. And as we are reminded that our life is not our own, but it belongs to him, he then directs us, just like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us. He'll direct our paths. He'll direct us exactly where we want to go. So don't worry about the future. Be concerned about today that you will live a normal Christian life, a life that's pleasing unto him. And then lastly, consider a ministry to the mentally disabled. They are God's special sheep. Maybe a different term I like to use. Maybe they're his designer children, one who are made specially for his own glory. The mentally retarded are human beings for whom Jesus Christ died. And our motivation, strictly for love's sake.